Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. It's really good to be in church, getting Easter eggs, having a lot of fun, but this evening we really are trusting that God's going to do something amazing in our lives. I don't know about you, but we love stories. Uh, here at Life Changes and I think in, in human nature, we're people who love stories. Whether you're a person who is of the more of the ilk of a once upon a time and that's, that's your type of story or whether you are a little bit more obscure and you love the inner galaxy far, far away type of story. Wherever you fall, even if it's somewhere in the middle, I believe all of us love a good story. And actually, you know, the Bible starts with those similar sort of words. It's almost in Star Wars fashion, as a, you can imagine. The Bible starts not with a list of morals, not with a list of to-dos, not with a whole bunch of, this is your moral code for life, humanity. The Bible starts with an in- introduction into the greatest story. The Bible ultimately is about a story about a God who is pursuing humanity. And it starts with these words, in the beginning. It should do the same thing that in a galaxy far, far away, or once upon a time, it should do in your heart. In the beginning, as those words resound from the first page of the Bible, it should invite us to lean in to a grand, epic adventure, a story of a lifetime. And this, this amazing book that begins like this, uh, for, for time's sake, it starts with a God who says, in the beginning, He created the heavens, the earth. He created everything we could see. He created in the same breath, He created humanity, man and, and, and woman, in, with the apple of His eye. And what he invited humanity into, the first thing he did was not saying humanity, he has a a stern headmaster saying, here's your boundaries, stick in them. What he did was he invited them, said, come and rule and reign in creation with me. In essence, he gave them the planet. This is the generosity of our Father. If you come to church tonight and you have grown up with an image of God who is stern, thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening, step out of line and ba-ba! I want to tell you that's the furthest picture of the God that we serve because from page one, the Father invites humanity into His story. Come, rule and reign with me. He gives them the planet. Like every other, every good story, there's always an antagonist. And uh, like uh, in this story, we're not exempt. The antagonist's name is Satan. And Satan comes in the third chapter and he makes his counter offer. It's like those old, old game shows, you know, where, where they have a choice. You know, will you go for the money or the box? Money, box, you don't know. And, then, and, then, and they're all nervous. And then when he gets it wrong, the audience goes, give him another chance. Give him another chance. I wish I could do that as I read the Bible because Adam and Eve come say, they've been given the planet. And the enemy comes and says, yeah, but surely that's not exactly, that's not all that's cut out to be. Why don't you settle for something more tangible right now, instant gratification. Take the fruit. Now, it might have been a, a really polished Granny Smith. It might have been. Could have been a really good pomegranate, but oh, no, but, but no matter how amazing it might have looked, th- this moment, I always read it and go, come on, Adam, take the planet. Take the planet and run. And he's like, hmm, got to think about this one. I'll go for this, the instant, the thing that will satisfy me now. And Adam goes for that. And, and I always go, what? What a fool. What an idiot, as I read the scripture. But I want to say, actually, from that moment to millennia onwards, Many Adams and many Eves and many, many sons and daughters from those that line have made the same mistake again and again and again. We keep going for the small and walking away from the big story that God has for us. And I, I don't know about you, but when I first read that, I go, that doesn't seem too bad. They just, they just had a bit of a snack break. Come on. 
Surely that's not so huge. But actually, from page one of Genesis to the end of Genesis, we just see humanity, the nature of humanity, keep turning away from the big story, settling for the small. And one small thing leads to another small thing. And before they know it, this is how the book of Genesis ends. The last, very last verse in Genesis, if we can put it on the screen, is this. From a planet and a garden and beautiful walking with God, the last verse of the first book in the Bible ends like this. And after they embalmed Joseph, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. From a planet to a coffin, humanity sees that taking the fruit all the way always leads to death. How did this happen? How does this go wrong in such short space of time? And how are we going to put this right? From a planet to a coffin. I want to say that my story, my name is Gabe Phillips, if I haven't introduced myself already. Married to an amazing lady called Fiona with a beautiful one-month-old baby called Olivia Grace. She is spectacular. The, the doctor actually said, just a quick aside, said that, that she is the, the prettiest baby he's ever seen. Just so I let you know, it's on record, so it must be true. She's got a little ginger in her, so, oh, the chosen people, you know, beautiful. Mm. But my story b- b- before that, precedes that, preceding that moment, this moment of marriage and baby, starts in, in, in a land far, far away called Zimbabwe. A good place, and I grew up in a great home with great parents. I've got my mom and dad here from, from Durth visiting. A great family, uh, as I said, a great country, and, and great red hair. That was the envy of everyone around, you know? They're like, wow, look at him go. And I used to walk just like Michael, you know, just with a bit of swag hop, you know, with that hair. But I uh, had, had a, full, a life full of potential and fun and light and security, and I loved it. I loved growing up in this amazing, spacious family that, that loved God, that was, was pioneering and charging to the fullness of what God had. But because of uh, economic and political situation, we had to immigrate to Durban. And uh, when we got there as a, as a 15-year-old, my parents, for the first time, who were these, these amazing heroes, suddenly couldn't find work. Month one, month two, month three, onwards and onwards. We couldn't find work, and, and we had to live in the small back rooms of people's homes. And a, a world that seemed large became very small. And as a young guy, I, I was, saw my heroes and he, uh, feeling unsure about life for the first time. And then I got unsure, and insecurity got in me as a young 15-year-old, as I didn't have the friendship circles I had before, didn't have the, the structures I could lean on, and everything was a bit exposed. And in that moment, where, where I had the choice, lean into God and the big story he has or, or, or settle for something else. The enemy came and said, why don't you take the fruit now? Settle for something now that you can be sure of, something that will, will provide satisfaction now. And I drifted into the world of pornography, a, a deep, dark hole, a shame that was just so, so, was so sad as the internet as, as I didn't even understand this world. But I went in and I thought, you know what? I justified it. So everyone's doing it. It's just it's a male thing. It's what we do these days. And, but after one day became another day, this, this thing of pornography didn't just become something that was just something I could do on the side. It became my whole existence. It defined me. And, and before I knew it, I was sliding into a deeper depression. I became insecure and insecure about who I was, about my red hair. Can you believe it? I'll tell you. It was shocking. But I went on the slide, and, and just a little bit after that, then the same breath, we got a phone call that my brother, Simon, who was a massive guy, had been struck with cancer. And in the story, this, this whole, this big story that exploding before us, that a once certain young man suddenly became very insecure because that word cancer was a word for other families. Surely it will never come to our family. But suddenly that, that phone call and that insecurity, mom and dad and my addiction, and, and week in a week out I tried to make promises to God, God, I'll try, I will stop now. And the next week I was in the same place making another promise. I'm sorry for that. And I made a promise after promise, broke promise after promise. 
and, and, and my world, I realized that after not just taking a little bit of a fruit, it looked a little bit of fruit, but I was one foot, two foot in my own coffin, and I was slowly having the lid of my coffin pushed down on me as the enemy was going, great, that's Gabe Phillips done and taken care of. Good, small, keep him there. But for us, the good news is that's where Jesus, a man named Jesus Christ, intervened in my story. You see, this man Jesus was born into the smallness of humanity. I love the story of the Bible that Jesus came not as an all-conquering king. He came as a baby, born to a virgin. He would have been known as, in those those circles of those days, he probably would have been known as a bastard child. He went into the smallness. He came into an inn because nowhere else had room for him. The world did not receive him and say, thank you, Lord. He came into the smallness of humanity. He came into our small, dark spaces. For 33 years, he lived a perfect life, saying no where we would have said yes. He said yes where we would have said no. And so as he went along, he angered the religious elite, calling them again and again away from their preoccupation with smallness, their self-created coffins of religion. You see, what mankind does is to try and uh, rid ourselves of the guilt of taking the fruit, we set up other coffins called religion. So much so that Jesus called these Pharisees who try to keep people in small space saying, actually, yes, God gave you the planet, but actually, you've got to stay in a straight line. Don't go, no, you've got to do this. And, and they would say who was in and who was out. And, and you failed, come back in. You know, they became the, the judge and executor of, 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 of religion. And Jesus called them out on this, saying, you're misrepresenting my dad. My dad invites people into a great story of space and adventure and, and, and excitement and love and, and peace and joy. And you're putting bondage on them. And you're pushing them into small coffin spaces. That's what religion does. So much so that Jesus called them, once called these Pharisees, whitewashed tombs. Another word for whitewashed coffins. Houses of death. See what religion does, it says, neaten up your coffin. Just make the outside look a little bit better. It keeps you small. Keeps you, it's, just a, it's just a different expression of us taking the fruit. Again and again. You see, he riled up the religious elite so much by accusing them of this. That they crucified him. They took him, they nailed him to a cross, put a crown of thorns on his head, mocked him, jeered at him. And there on the Friday, he breathed his last and died. Now, I can imagine that as, as Jesus was nailed on the cross, all his disciples who had been freshly invited to follow Jesus in this big story just a few mere three years earlier, in this moment where they had an opportunity to stand with Jesus, stand with God, and, 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 and walk in, they didn't know this was an invitation to the greatest day ever. But in this moment, true to form, they responded just like their dad, Adam, did. Peter, in this moment, will he stand with Jesus? The plant of the fruit, he goes, I will deny him. Self-protection. In this moment, Judas, will, which way will he go? I'll betray him. Thomas, I'll doubt him. They go the same way, true to form, just like every one of us. They walked away into their own coffin, small, we'll stay small, thank you. But uh, I'm so grateful that Jesus probably knew this was going to happen. But uh, I'm a visual guy, and I can imagine what happened that day. We, we, the scriptures tell us what happened uh, on the Friday there. But what happened in, 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 in Satan's realm? I can imagine Satan watching with his legions of demons, watching this as they watch this play out and Jesus play out and see them take Jesus and, and start to nail him to a cross. And Satan started to get very excited going, Look, what, look what's happening. We got Adam. We got, we got all of them. We got the cane. We got them into the coffin. And we put sons and daughters in coffins all the, all the time. And they got religion. And they settled, settled. And now the only hope for salvation, Jesus, the Son of God, man is putting them in the coffin as well. 
And Satan's like, we've done it. We've done it. And the demon's going, you're the man, Satan. You used them to kill their only hope for salvation. And Satan, as Jesus said, it is finished on the cross. Satan said, it is finished. We have won. And said, party on, guys. Sent the Facebook invite out. And that night, all hell break, broke loose. As the party of parties started, they pressed play, and they heard, I'm on a highway to hell. It's like, I like these guys. These guys are cool. Can we get them next year for the Christmas party? Satan going, and the party of parties raged on as they just, it just exploded as they said, we have done it. Checkmate Trump. Jesus is done. Done. Humanity is done in this coffin. This man has put the Son of God in a coffin, in his tomb, pushed in there. But then the next day dawns, Saturday. And I love to think, what happened on Saturday? You see, the Scriptures actually don't tell us much about what happened on Saturday. Christian folklore and myth will tell us, Jesus went down and wrestled the devil. It's not in the Scripture. Just thought I'd let you know, it's not there. I've looked a few times. It's not there. But I love the fact that Scripture doesn't tell us what happened on Saturday. The day when they probably were much... I can imagine the disciples waking up almost in a hangover type state from the day before going, did that really happen? And, and they're looking at each other, feeling slightly ashamed and asking questions. Is Jesus really dead? But, but he made so many promises to us. And they go, have we actually just betrayed God? Do we have any comeback after us? Are we, are we doomed to be isolated now because we went with him? What was our big story over? And they're sitting there and there seemingly was no answer from heaven. I think of as the party raged on in hell. Hell, the, the scripture does tell us that heaven was silent. And, and, and I can imagine the enemy Satan going, what have you got? Nothing. You can't speak. He's in the tomb. He's in the coffin. It's done. And the party went on and on and on into a third day. No good party always goes on into a third day. You know, one of those ones. And the Sunday comes and the demons are just trash. They're like high-fiving each other. Now. Oh, this is Satan the man. And Satan's going for his, his third Bacardi breezer, you know. Just drink of choice. And he gets it and he comes back. And as he's walking back into the party, he goes, Silence! DJ, turn it down. And they're like, oh, whoa, whoa, what's wrong? He goes, I, I, I heard a stone. And the demons go, I think you're stoned, bro. You're stoned. What's that? I heard a stone. He's like, no, 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 quiet. As Satan started to realize something had gone wrong in his calculations, as he started to run back to the, 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 the whiteboard and start to work it out and realize that actually he hadn't calculated the fact that a stone was moving, meaning that there was someone who was also moving behind that stone. And the one who he thought was dead, who was finished in the coffin, was just starting to stir. I tell you, what we have, the most exciting is the fact is that on the third day, a man named Jesus Christ who went into the coffin, a man named Jesus who went into humanity's depth, into our darkest place, into our most broken place, he went in there, he squeezed in there, and he took the full weight of the sin of the world upon him. But on the third day, he said, it's time to go. And he burst open that coffin, the lid of the coffin. He pushed the stone back, not because he needed to, uh, needed to get out, but because he wanted us to see in that there was no one left there. And he walked out victoriously as the king of kings, and hell freaked out. Let me tell you the good news for you and I tonight. Is that when Jesus died on Friday, when he died, the last words out of his mouth was this, it is finished. Can I tell you the good news is this, that when he said that, he declared over our pasts, our regrets, our failures, 
our mistakes, every time we've broken promises, he declares this, it is finished. Your past, your brokenness, it is finished. But here's the great news, is that because he rose again on Sunday, when he rose up, he said, he added, there was a comma, he said, it is finished, but you've only just begun. You've only just begun. This is the great news about Sunday, because I'm, I imagine Peter, you see this man Peter, if Jesus hadn't rose from the dead, the man Peter who famously denied Jesus on the Friday, not once, not twice, but three times, he would have forever replayed the story of his deep regret, betrayal, and mistakes. He would have forever sat going, oh, I had that opportunity and I messed up, I messed up. I did exactly true to form. And he probably would have got the nickname, like Doubting Thomas, he would have been denying Peter. That's how we would probably remind, remember him. And he would have told stories, oh, my kids, you know, I had this moment and I, I messed up. Dragging that coffin behind him for the rest of his life. But here's the good news. Because Jesus did not stay in the coffin, the same Peter, his future had a much different story. It's this Peter that writes the scripture that we read at the beginning. He, in, his, in, his, in the book that he writes, he doesn't talk about his mistakes, his past, because that was finished. But because Jesus wrote, so he writes a different story. So if we put that scripture back on the screen, I want to land with this. Three things that scripture tells us. It says that Christ died for our sins, number one, once and for all. Let me tell you, because of this Jesus, once and for all, no matter where you have been, what you have done, how many times you have failed, how many promises you have gone back on, Jesus forever declares over you, it is finished once and for all. That was good, sorry. Jesus says, I do you guys are looking at me, wow. Jesus says forever over your past. We don't have to labor under that guilt and shame any longer because Jesus declares, it is done. Finished. So much so that actually the cross has the final word. You know that on, uh, we, uh, my wife and I, we are an amazing couple. Just thing you know. We hardly ever fight. But when it does, that's my fault. <laughs> yeah. Sure, you found your voice. Eh? Wow, thanks, man. Sure. Oh, God's doing a miracle. Lord, silent the accuser. Silence the accuser right now. Uh, but this is the thing that actually, you know, if you get in an argument or with somebody, you always want to have the final word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But try and have the final word to have the final say. Can I tell you, in every argument you have with the enemy, the good news, the enemy goes, yeah, you're a liar. But the great news is the cross has the final word every time. The enemy goes, you are a sinner. And you go, you're like, yeah, but, but, but Jesus, the cross, has the final word. Once and for all, he died. He has the final word on your life forever. Secondly, the scripture tells us that the righteous died for the unrighteous. C.S. Lewis, Lewis says it this way. The son of God became the son of man so that the sons of men could become the sons of God. Let me say it again. The son of God became the sons of man so that sons of man could become the sons of God. This is great news. This is good news for you and I because here's why. He didn't just forgive you and place you back in neutral. You know what I mean? He didn't just forgive you and say, back to Adam, you have a second chance. Do you know why? We'll stuff it up again. He didn't say he has a third or fourth, fifth chance because we'll mess it up every time. It's not snakes and ladders. Try again, try again. No, no, no. He actually does it. The righteous, he gives us his righteousness. He took us in and he places us in him. He gives us a new starting point. Not at the beginning, not in your past and try again, but a new standing point, his starting point. This is great news for you and I. And thirdly, it says this, he did this all. Why? To bring you to God. This is the story that you and I, I now get to live with God. Charles Spurgeon says this quote, you'll never know the fullness of Christ until you know the emptiness 
of everything else but Christ. You know, when Jesus died and then he rose again three days later, do you know what he did? I have this image of the childhood game that we used to play, Open Gates. Anyone ever seen it? And the way the, the game works is you choose the biggest, strongest lad to try and break through. And, and if they break through, what they shout when, as they walk through, they declare, open gates. And the rest of us who've done nothing get to sprint in for free. That's what Jesus did for you and I. He broke through. He wrestled. He won. He won the victory. And he declares open gates over every single heart. And you say, I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. Good news. It's not up to you. He broke through so you can run in for free. I want to land this moment this evening as I call the band up one more time. I want to ask this question. What story has dominated your life? What story has been the presiding story of your life that gets said again and again about yourself? Or more importantly, what story will be the headline of your future? Today, I believe Christ is speaking over the coffins of rejection, anxiety, fear, addiction, depression, and he's speaking over all these coffins that we've labored under, the labels that we've, we've put ourselves under and lived in that, that story for way too long. And he is declaring over them, it is finished. Yeah, but I'm divorced. It is finished. But I'm an addict. It is finished. But I'm depressed. It is finished. I, I'm, just, I'm just full of anxiety. It is finished. If we believe what Jesus has done for us. And here's the great news. that I really believe that this is done once and for all. And I pray that not one of us would leave dragging a coffin behind us. So, ma'am, I appeal to you with the, the depth of my heart. Please do not leave here dragging a coffin behind you. Don't leave here saying, okay, good, he's challenged me to try and neaten up my coffin. Leave your coffin here because Christ burst out of it and Ephesians tells us when he rose from the grave, you rose with him. Please don't leave here with one sin left on you because we have a sinless Savior who stood in our place, who took every sin, the weight of the world upon himself. Here's the thing, because Jesus died, you and I died too. Our old self died. Here's the great news, because Jesus rose again, we get to come alive to him afresh into a new story. This is not Gabe 2.0. This is not a, a new and improved version. This is a brand new, never seen before version of a story. God wants to speak life. He says, it is finished, but you've only just begun if you believe what I've done for you. Today, will you continue listening to the enemy? Today, will you listen to Jesus as he calls you to his story again? Today, I believe it's decision time for all of us. Planet or the fruit? I really believe this is decision time. Will we again say, God, I'm going to keep sailing for smallness, or I'm going to take the big story that you have won me for? And I believe with, with conviction that Jesus wants to do this with us today. I believe if he was here, and he is here, he's saying this, rise from your coffins. Rise from the coffins. Why? Because the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. I want to pray for us. Can we close our eyes, please?